0: Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but have been a photographer for over 30 years. And yes, if a picture tells a thousand words, then I guess you could say, I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection it matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross the book shares the na- same name as this program what the cross means to me each week we explore one of these cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of scripture this week's devotional is the 35th episode in this series of excerpts from What the Cross Means to Me book. However, this is the first episode in a new format, meaning instead of an essay or a hymn, it will be each cross image, or more accurately, the name of the particular cross image, that will serve as the inspiration for that episode's devotional. I pray that this new journey will be transformational for me and i pray it will be a blessing for you before we get started a quick bit of housekeeping from the last series in uh, two episodes i referenced an australian movie that i termed the caretaker a listener contacted me saying he could not find it upon looking into it i realized the actual title is the custodian it was released in 2012 with ty hunger ford playing joss francis a man who hasn't found his niche in life, good at many things, but nothing had provided him meaning. While lost in the woods, trying to get to a job as a farmhand, he stumbled upon the physical entrance to heaven, and discover that he is trapped with souls unable to cross over. With help from the custodian, Joss must learn the secrets of this mysterious place in order to find his own freedom. The custodian was written and produced. In Queensland by some local filmmakers, and while it was a grassroots film project, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I encourage all Christians uh, to watch the entire movie. Okay, for the devotional, this week's image is the beginning. The beginning is an image that is very special to me, as it was from the first night I shot the lonely cross on that remote hill, and it truly was The beginning of over two years of returning to that location to shoot and to contemplate. Now, keep in mind that this ridge is well over 200 feet above the valley floor. And what that means is that while the valley is in deep shadow, there is still sun hitting the ridge. And when the sun kisses the horizon line across the valley floor on the top of the western mountain range it seems to still be at eye level. And in this image, I arranged myself in such a way as to shoot the cross, but with a magenta-tinged shaft of light emanating up from the mountains, through the clouds, and towards the lower left arm of the cross. During those years, I was only shooting film, as would be another six years before my first digital camera. So I had to take the film to one of those one-hour photo labs. And when I picked up the prints from that first shoot and I saw this composition, I was hooked. And so I, I just had to go back and back and back for almost three years. And while, yes, there was an artistic obsession undergirded by the question, how differently can one shoot the same object at the same location? Well, the answer I found is that it is infinite. If you put your mind to it, and dedicate the time to it. And yet, it was not just the creative side that kept drawing me to that site, but my spiritual side as well. One that had already been there and was leading me to the cross. Over the year, after losing my wife to cancer, and during the time I had let my other corporate and photo pursuits go, I fell into a nightly pursuit of sunset chasing and shooting. I strove to get to a spot and then soak in as much of that sunset as possible many times until the full night had overtaken the last little bits of light in the sky. And the addiction was far beyond art. The process of being there and being able to meditate on the changing light and changing colors. Many times there were periods of maybe a few minutes, maybe five minutes of the most majestic mix of colors and clouds your mind could ever imagine, to the point of these quickly changing scenes, to me, seeming heavenly. You see, for me, sitting and meditating inside of and through a sunset felt as close as I could get to heaven on this plane, and as close as I could to my wife. So when I got the image back from the lab, the the shoot from that first night, and when I saw the sunset and its rays shooting up to the cross, I took it as a message, a symbol, and even an oracle to me. One saying, The spiritual feeling from the sunsets that I was chasing was pointing to the cross, as if to say, What you are looking for, it is because of and at the cross. And since then, that sight was not just to create art, but to find myself again and again and again as I found myself at the foot of the cross, to meditate on the cross, and its meaning to talk through my emotions and questions with God from that spot. Of course, we are all a product of our makeup and our upbringing, Nature Nurture, and I would not have reacted to those ethereal messages, the ones from her deathbed during my time of shooting on the cross, had I not had a foundation of faith to build on. And we will touch on my true beginnings and my testimony, as it is the underpinning of this devotional, the journey of cross-collecting, that led up to the ministry that I have been called to at this stage in my life. Before we jump into this first devotional in this new series, allow me to point out that there is a key verse preceding this image, one that is foundational to the journey all of us believers are on. It is from Galatians 6.14, which says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, regarding the beginning of my story behind this cross collection, I could continue on how I found the cross, the feelings I had that first night I shot the image I later titled The Beginning, or I could talk about how my foundation of faith was formed by a powerful woman of God, However, to even put it in that perspective, you need to know how far down her life was impacted by family members that preceded her and how far down her life had fallen at a certain point as a rebellious teen and a heroin addict before God saved her. But especially how those seeds of the gospel survived through her phases. Seeds of the gospel that were planted in her by her father who was born in South Africa, the youngest of four children of a missionary to the Transvaal. And not just the son of a preacher on the mission field, but the actual missionary, who was a contemporary, a colleague, a collaborator with John G. Lake, known as the Apostle to Africa. I have three books on Lake, and my great-grandpa, John Ingham, is referenced in each of them. Why would I go back so far when discussing my beginning? Because it illustrates how choices now can have generational impacts, either for good or bad. I am confident that there were Christians in John Ingham's family, whether his parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents, that led him to become a missionary. But let's start with the foundation of faith I refer to as flowing from John Ingham to his son, Clifford Ingham, who passed it on to his daughter, my mom. My mom, as I mentioned, had seeds of faith in her during her adolescence period of raging against authority. Obviously, I was not around to know what the source of her rage was, but I have my insights on what they might be. But again, our choices affect the trajectory of who we become or who our children will or can become. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit never gave up my mom, and yes, the ability of the access to and the propensity of being able to numb her rage was high, meaning the ability to get high to numb her angst. Why? Well, the family lived in the shadow of the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco during those hippie days of the late 60s. Drugs were plentiful and cheap. And in talking to her, she said part of her chemical addiction was to get away from what she viewed in hindsight, as the constant conviction of the Holy Spirit. After rebelling against her parents, she mentioned to me that she knew the path she was on was not right, and her conscience bothered her a lot as she took step after step down a dark path. A path that started as early as around 13 or 14, which was to try alcohol illegally, but I guess it did not matter as the other drugs were illegal too. But she started experimenting with one after another, until she found a a drug that finally did the trick to disconnect her from the pain of her consciousness and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That drug being one of the most addicting drugs known out there, namely heroin. And like Eve did to Adam with the fruit from the tree of knowledge, she introduced her boyfriend to the drug as well. And it was during that path downward that she became pregnant. Abortions were not legal yet, and as a 15-year-old, The chances of getting to Tijuana, about a thousand miles south, or finding a backroom clinic was highly unlikely. So her boyfriend, yes, my father, took her to Nevada and got married, albeit a shotgun wedding. It was not long after that some bad choices of his landed him in prison. It was a short stint, but so was his freedom. My mom had told him that if he went back to prison, she would divorce him. He did, and so she did, and then moved in with a new boyfriend, one that was a heroin dealer. And so it was, I saw more of about the underbelly of humanity by age five than most people will experience in their entire life. I was told that I was neglectingly placed in danger on various levels every day. But my biggest vulnerability was her drug-dealing boyfriend, who seemed to not have much patience for a child. My aunt, mentioned suspicions of chronic low-level abuse over time, but her concerns were validated one day when he beat me so bad he placed me in the hospital and her drug-dealing boyfriend in prison. And yes, my mother lost custody of me to the state who placed me in the foster care system. Now, this started a new path for my mom, and she found herself at some point down at the proverbial rock bottom. Being invited to a church service, she cried out to God one day, saying, God, if you are real, please save me. And wow, God did. A 180-degree, genuine and life-changing conversion. She went from one day being addicted to heroin, cigarettes, and foul language to a woman glowing with joy and overflowing with the love of the Lord. No methadone needed. No patches needed. My mom was a woman of God ever since, and I'll spare you a lot of details of the amazing feats, including traveling around the world on the Anastasia's mercy ship. But know that there are hundreds, if not through them, thousands of souls my mom is credited to have brought into the kingdom of heaven. My dad, soon after my mother's conversion, thought that that was a great idea and had a similar sinner's prayer. He joined the God Squad in prison and was released on good behavior. But then, you know, again, from this new perspective that he had, he remarried my mom. The three of us were a family again. But after a few years, and then throughout decades of years, the chemical addiction continued. And he said the same sinner's prayer hundreds of times, and if not thousands of times. And yet, he was never free of his demons, in my opinion, until he actually passed away. The reason I share this is not just the mystery or the inexplicable reason why one person says a sinner's prayer and is one time completely and forever changed, and another says the same prayer over and over again, if not hundreds of times, and never really changes. But because, through it all, my dad was so smart. You know, he could memorize many, many Bible verses that can quote a high amount of any verse reference either backwards or forwards, meaning you could say the reference and he knew the content, you could say the content, and odds are he knew where the reference was. Book, chapter, and verse. Now my mom could do neither. However, when the need arose in the midst of a divine appointment, she would be inspired to paraphrase a scripture perfect for that moment. Meaning, my mom brought in countless souls for the kingdom from heart knowledge, and my dad hardly any, maybe not even himself, with amazing head knowledge. To me, this is the mystery of faith. And their lives give me contrasting examples of how to live my life, for or against. On one side, a person given to their own addictions, whether because of pleasures or as a way of numbing the deeply personal wounds, or both. And then the other, because her spouse abandoned her, had to chronically take two jobs and chronically and acutely depend on God to provide. Growing up with the latter was full of testimonies, born of countless unexplainable miracles of God, providing proof of His involvement in our daily lives. It is this phase, growing up with a joyful and powerful woman of God, that really is my beginning. The miracles I witnessed are one of the pillars holding up my foundation of faith. Everything I am and am becoming and all the ways I respond to and live through all the hard times of my life can be traced to growing up with a genuine and fully committed prayer warrior and woman of God. So when talking about how this cross collection came to be, it was not just because of the intense spiritual experience of losing my wife to cancer, but because of who I became by being raised by a strong and faith-filled mother. It affected the friends I chose, impacted the ministries I joined, and even how I viewed male-female relations, the latter impacting how I interacted with girls I found myself attracted to. I remember the lesson my mom often imparted to me, which was, why waste my time dating a girl unless you can see yourself marrying her? It was one of the reasons I put all the chips on the table when I married Verna a year out of high school. And yes... The other beginning was the spiritual inception of my way of sharing the gospel, especially at the crossroad of staying in Bible college or pursuing art through photography. This is what I believe Kempis was touching on in a section of his book, The Imitation of Christ. Quote, What good does it do to speak learnedly about the Trinity if, lacking humility, you displease the Trinity? Indeed, it is not learning that makes a man holy and just, but a virtuous life, making him pleasing to God. I would rather feel contrition than know how to define it. For what would it profit us to know the whole Bible by heart and all the principles and all of, of all the philosophers if we live without grace and the love of God? Vanity of vanities, and all is vanity except to love God and to serve Him alone. In another section, he says, If you desire to benefit from the Scriptures, read with humility, simplicity, and faithfulness. Never desire to be known as a Bible scholar. Why? Well, in another section, he says, God gave us an intellect to use for His glory. Unfortunately, so much of our learning is both abused and misused. We look at the world about us and see the evil ends to which learning has been twisted and manipulated and with what tragic consequences. Such brilliance culminating in such tragedy. That last line reminds me of my dad. And lastly, in another section, he says, quote, not everyone can be learned. God knows this. He apportions his gifts as he wills, but everyone can be humble. And it is the humble who are heard by God. With humility comes the deeper realization of our need of God and his grace. The learned, the proud, and the arrogant have ever been at odds with God. Quote, I thank you, Father, that you have kept these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to the little ones. Unquote. From Jesus, speaking in Matthew 11:25, It is not in virtue of our knowing, but in virtue of our loving that God reveals his secrets." Unquote. Why were these campus experts tied into my beginnings? Because when I was at Christian College, I decided to go down the path of art, heart knowledge, and use that as my form of self-expression, photography. Was it happenstance? No. I was still living through the impact of a chemically addicted father who after moving on from living under the bridge through rehab, back into our lives, would fall off the wagon, and most times would steal from us on the way out. And that description, that pattern, repeated itself over and over and over again. One time, when he left, he cleaned out my mom's account so bad it was the final straw, and she divorced him for the second time. And even so, he had an uber-brilliant, albeit troubled mind. My dad was so smart. As I mentioned, he could memorize so many Bible verses and quote them. But if you say, what's the point? My mom could do neither. But like I said, when the need arose in the midst of a divine appointment, her paraphrasing of a perfect scripture to the situation was amazing. I'd be stunned at how she would impact a person through her biblical phrases. But she would, if called on it, never know exactly the book, chapter, or verse reference. And so it was, without head knowledge, you focus on heart knowledge, which is the path that I chose to go down. So, for my dad, he proved himself to all of us that he really was brilliant. He was really bright. And he proved it to us one day, meaning he came down with pancreatic cancer. And after the surgeons cut out half of his pancreas, he survived. And I'm told it is an intensely painful condition to live with only half a pancreas. So, somehow, the medical profession found a way to provide this chemically addicted person with morphine every day for a decade. The result? Sobriety. (laughs) He lived 10 years with no alcohol. Albeit, even though he had the best crutch in the world, he had one of the best drugs provided to him every single day. And then he applied himself during those 10 years. He, he applied himself through what he had lived through, and believe it or not, you can believe it, because he became a board-certified toxicologist and held a job for many years as a chemical addiction counselor at a nonprofit helping addicts to recover. And when my mom came down hard with hepatitis C, He really went out of his way to care for her. In the eyes of my family, he kind of redeemed himself at the end. You know, redeemed his wasted life through his devotion to caring for her. And to my mom as well. So much so that she remarried him. For those of you who have been paying attention, yes, she married him for the third time. That's a great way to end the story, yes? Well, sadly, no. Because when my mom passed... My dad went off the rails. He illustrated to all of us a leaving Las Vegas situation. He kept taking too much of his morphine, which caused his prescription to be cut off and then resorted to alcohol. He was in and out of the hospital 16 times in the six months between her passing and his death. point is, I have two examples to live by, and I chose, choose the heart knowledge example of my mom, letting my imagery and art speak for me. And so it was, the die was cast. My foundation of faith was already strong when my wife passed away. And it was not just my mom's influence that undergirds me, but my young wife, Verna, her faith as well. She lived out her faith without fear or any doubt. In high school, she started and was the president of the Bible Club, And her nickname on campus was Preacher Vern. And yet, that was not the ultimate thing that sustained me. If what I'm about to share had not happened, would I have still had such peace? I don't know. I have no clue. All I know is that something profound happened that made all the difference. A difference to that night, the days at and after the funeral, and through the years of widowhood that followed. And that is when I was holding Verna's hand when she flatlined. I physically felt God's hand take her from mine. And in that small moment of time, I saw beyond that ICU room, beyond my church, beyond my denomination, beyond my country, beyond this blue ball in this solar system, and across time and space, to the infinity of God's presence. And if that wasn't enough, I got a glimpse of my presence meaning I saw that I was already there with Verna. And just like that, I was back in the ER, listening to the 40 or 50 people in the act of deep grieving and crying, the, the kind that cut to the bone. And I simply slipped out another door out of the ICU room, out to the back of the hospital, found a bench to sit on, and just stared at the stars. I was alone for a good 15 or 20 minutes before someone found me. Now my realization was that even though I was already there with her, I still had to live more living in this dimension for a while, at least until my body gives out. And the insights I saw when his hand touched mine and the contemplations starting by staring at the stars at night is what fueled the next beginning. The beginning of the journey to seek out sunset spots and soak in as much of it while contemplating and that chasing sunset spots phase is what led me to the hill where I found the cross collection. And that desire to be at sunset was in some ways trying to tap into that feeling I felt in that ICU room that day. When I'd be there and in between the changing of the colors, as I waited for the next phase of the sunset, I'd start to pray and meditate, and I would strive to tap into that feeling of affinity again. And it was. That first night, the image for this week's episode was captured. The first of many, many nights for almost three full years. Many feel that those meditative sessions allow me to tap into something ultra-dimensional while also shooting the cross on that particular night. And what was or is the big takeaway from my time through my journey at the foot of the cross? The biggest takeaway is partly what was instilled in me by my mom, my church, Verna, and the vision where I saw her in heaven. Yes, the big takeaway is knowing that Verna never really died, When she accepted Jesus into her heart as her savior, the die was cast. And so, when her vessel, when her body gave out, when her heart stopped, and when science said she died, she was immediately alive in the presence of her Messiah, the Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. To be dead on earth is to be alive in Christ. Jesus, the one who provided a bridge, the bridge from death to life, eternal life. With the creator of all. When you get down, because a loved one that has passed, a loved one that has accepted Jesus, be encouraged. They are still alive. If you have accepted Christ in your heart, well, the Bible says we are already present with Jesus. We simply need to live through this thing called life and bring as many souls with us, as many as we can, either directly or through planting and or watering seeds of faith. If you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? If not, I suggest you meditate on the cross and its meaning. Become the shadow of the cross as you die to yourself daily. Doing so removes doubt, fear, and pain, and provides the faith needed to endure every trial and strength to sacrifice whatever you are called to, as Jesus did, for the kingdom of God. Go, be that shadow of Christ today. If you are not a Christian yet, I suggest you consider accepting the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, contemplating what Jesus did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and consider asking God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with his love and joy today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, a devotional program heard every week on Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, this week's image, The Beginning, along with other verse-pirations, then check out robholt.inspires on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise through Cross Products, Hear other cross podcasts, then log into Rob That is R O B E H O L T dot com.